All right, hey everybody, welcome back to the Deconstruction Zone. Um, as always, my name is Emily Zell, and I'm very excited for our guest today. He is the host of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast, which has been a huge part of my deconstruction, so I'm really honored that he's here today. Um, but Adrian, thanks for joining us. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. That's, that's very kind. It's good to hear. Actually, we'll just tell this story really quick, because I think yeah. I briefly mentioned it in the... This is actually a pretty good story. So I was dating a pastor, classic, and was like, I need to know how to like date like a Christian better. And so I typed into podcasts, date like a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) this is so accurate. This is so true. And then I like, I was like, that's a fun name for a podcast. Like, listen to it. And then you guys were talking and I was like, oh my God, like maybe I'm so stressed out because of all this stuff. And like, Total, like that was the beginning of my deconstruction. Was that oh, moment? <laughs> my God, that is that's a great story. Thank you, thank you. That just that like made my day. That last <laughs> that's that's hilarious. That's hilarious. We 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 got you like we got you to the side door, right? And then for a little bit, I was like, I'll just listen to them, you know, to like better my witness, right? Like I was like, I'm just listening to this podcast, but I don't like agree fully. Yeah. And then I'll and then I was like, yeah completely on board <laughs> the slope is slippery emily oh i know it really Slick. is yep. um so adrian i just want to jump right into it um so for people who haven't listened to dirty rod church kids like just a little bit of what is your church story church background were you raised in it did you work in the church just give us a little backstory yeah sure so i was um I, I was brought up in church. My mom uh, immigrated to New York from the Philippines, and she was brought up Catholic. Um, Catholicism is like kind of the national religion of the Philippines, I guess. And so she, she was brought up Catholic, and then my mom remarried when I was about two um, to a white guy from Wichita, Kansas. He was um, he was a preacher his dad was a pastor his dad's dad was a pastor like it was just kind of this long line mm-hmm. of um evangelical pastors but specifically his you know my, my dad's iteration of christianity was pentecostal so you have a catholic you know filipina married to uh, a, a pentecostal white guy and so that was kind of the the soil upon which i was <laughs> planted <laughs> so i I would spend virtually every summer with my grandparents in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got really quickly inundated with all of the kind of the feels of Christianity, kind of like the tears. I learned how to speak in tongues, um, which, you know, if you want to know how to speak in tongues, you have to say, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. And if you say it with <laughs> conviction, you're like, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. And it's great. Um, <laughs> So that's a little, that's, that was free. And thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so uh, when I was, so that was kind of like the, the beginning of it. And every church we went to was kind of a non-denominational charismatic expression. Mm-hmm. In fact, I moved, uh, we moved to the Philippines when I was a junior high, like the first couple, and the first couple of years of high school. And so 
that was a mega church, a very mm. kind of classic mega church model, multiple services, multiple campuses, you know, tons of outreach. Everyone was really, really kind of cool and hip. Um, and then from there, I came back to the States and I kind of very quickly swung the pendulum away from the attractional megachurch model to kind of the Southern Baptist uh, land. And so that's what really moved from kind of the heart to the head. Uh, mm. And it, I just kind of spun into, you kind of discover reformed theology. And then I became a, a church planter within um, kind of a reformed uh, Southern Baptist denomination. And it was being a church planter, entirely reformed, that my own faith change started, you know. Um, and then it was that faith change that happened about six years ago now, maybe more. Uh, and that's when DRCK came about. Okay, cool. So you really hit all the, you've read, read rode all the rides, basically. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a ringer. Yeah, yeah, I'm a ringer. <laughs> The only thing I haven't really experienced was kind of like mainline Protestantism. So I never did, you know, like Presbyterian, like, well, well I guess Presbyterian. I never did like Methodist, you know, Lutheran. Yeah. Like I really never experienced any of that particular iteration of Christianity. But uh, by and large, I mean, you frequently hear folks who, when you kind of share some of your faith story and they go, yeah, well, I hear, you know, that, you know, you're not, you don't call yourself a Christian anymore. Like it's probably just because you just haven't found the right church, you know, it's like, oh, come to, come to my church oh, yeah. or, oh, their theology is <laughs> whack or, you know what I mean? Or, or like the way they worship is whack or their version of Jesus or whatever. But it's like, I mean, I've, I've kind of sampled every <laughs> pie behind the display case. And so I kind of get a gist of, you know what I'm saying? Like after a certain yeah. point, you realize all the ingredients are very similar. So I was raised Presbyterian. So oh, okay. yeah, kind of like basically like reformed Southern Baptist, but we just judged you guys for not being reformed enough to baptize yeah. your babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Were were y'all like uh like beer drinkers, cigar smokers, like that? that oh kind yeah, of we were cool. Yeah. <laughs> you were the cool ones. Yeah, cool. that's great. I remember one time, <laughs> I was I used to like uh volunteer with this. It was a bunch of college students who would like write. It was like a college version of the Gospel Coalition. Oh God, cool. <laughs> yeah, so so good. <laughs> we just write articles about our theological takes or whatever. Did you guys anyway. develop like a following? Like, did you have like a okay it was okay oh, sweet. <laughs> um yeah, it was something but I remember one time like the head of the whole thing was talking to a guy in my denomination and he was like he just like said the word fuck three times and I just feel like if you start to uh compromise with the world on that like it's just a slippery <laughs> slope and I was like I feel like it's fine and kind of hilarious but whatever oh that's great that's great yeah be becoming um Going from kind of like a mega church where everything was like super sexy and then going to be like a very kind of theology heavy, doctrine, dogma heavy, kind of reformed expression was, I tell people it was, it was the first step of my deconstruction. So, um, it was kind of like a mini deconstruction within a bigger one. Yeah. So like growing up pretty Pentecostal, was it like refreshing that they were so in their head? Yeah. So I, I think like um, to folks who were brought up in everything is how you feel. Mm -hmm. the, the upside, I will say, of the Pentecostal and charismatic expression, in my opinion, is that you're very embodied. 
it's all about how mm -hmm. you feel and it's all about i just had this intuition from the holy spirit like you're actually taught to be more in tune with your body than probably any other expression of christianity in my opinion um yeah because it was always about how you felt in a moment and just any given moment you're like i just had this feeling that the lord wants me to tell you this and and they didn't have the language i didn't have the language to say my intuition is just giving me this and i can't tell you where this stems from but mm -hmm. like it was a an expression of embodiment and so that that was the upside the downside with a lot of the pentecostal charismatic movement is it is entirely based upon behavior control so mm. it's entirely based upon um at least you know and everything i'm saying i'm I to hang a huge lampshade to say this is just my experience but everything was like you know my, my grandma pentecostal grandma she wouldn't wear pants she would only wear long skirts down to her ankles you know wouldn't cut her hair wore it up in a bun they didn't have a tv didn't have a christmas tree god forbid you listen to music or watch a movie or something <laughs> you know so like no makeup yeah. no jewelry you know and um, and a lot of non-denominational charismatic churches I went to had a maybe not as drastic, but a very mm -hmm. similar sort of like we are separate, we are set apart. I don't talk that way. I don't watch that stuff. I don't do that thing. And so, God forbid, you don't get tattoos, you don't get piercings, you don't drink, you don't smoke, all that stuff. You sure as hell don't say at times. <laughs> uh, and and so I think when you're brought up in that the reformed like the reformed meal looks pretty tasty and so i think that's kind of the first when i say it was the first deconstruction i ever experienced i really mean that because it was the first time that i felt safe enough to go okay i'm still in but like i can be a little bit towards the edges of the inside as which to quote a richard Rohr lyric lyric quote um as if Richard Rohr is like a rapper, like he's got bars. Anyway, he does, he have, bars. does have bars. He does yeah. have bars. Right? Yeah. No, no, but so I, yeah. So I think it was the first thing where I started to, I felt safe enough to pick it apart. And because Reformed theology is all based upon theology, which is like all systematic, like biblical theology, I felt mm -hmm. safe enough to do it because I'm like, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Y'all have been wrong this whole time. It's like, so that's so interesting. I'm just comparing it to my own story, like being raised reformed and then getting a little more into my feelings like barely but like I said earlier on this podcast um to our co-host I was like I would just prefer to not engage the Holy Spirit at all because it's messy and unreliable and I don't want to <laughs> listen so why don't we just not listen to our bodies or our Holy Spirit or whatever yeah. and he was like I think you really think that <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> like he was like you're saying that is what you used to think but he's like you said that very with like I, it's not trustworthy, but there's so much black and white in reform theology that it's just, it's in a way it's like really easy. It's there's easy. No yeah. It's easy and it's clean. In my opinion, I felt like reform theology was minimalist. It was, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of flourish. There wasn't a lot of fluff, you know, it was all systematic. So it all built on each other. So there's nothing to, to think about, right? Um, this means this means this means this. And then the table is Jesus. And as long as it, you have Jesus, like you're good to go. Um, and I loved the minimalism of it all. So that's what attracted to me in the beginning. I certainly went through the cage stage. Did you ever go through a cage stage or were you brought up in it? I was just about to ask you about your cage stage. Um, I kind of definitely did. Like I had, 
I had a sticker on my computer that said rated R for reformed. <laughs> like I what was really nerd. about it. That's amazing. That's <laughs> so, amazing. So yeah, what was I your went, cage stage like? Yeah, no, my cage stage, I was an insufferable prick. I like, mm-hmm. I was just so demeaning to everybody. I would like, I would evangelize to Christians. Cause I'm like, uh, Hey man, like, let's go get coffee sometime <laughs> as, if, <laughs> as if this guy is like, like snorting a line of cocaine and at the, at the bars. I'm like, no, let's go get coffee sometime. He's like, yeah, man, I lead worship at a, at a mega church. Well, why are we, why are we doing this? And I'm like, well, you know, and so I was just that kind of guy. I really just mm-hmm. felt like I had it all figured out. Um, cause like I said, there's nothing to think about because everything fits in a box. You know, yeah. there's a, a, there's a reason for everything. There's a rule for everything. Um, and so, yeah, it probably was like a three-year-long cage stage. Smoked a lot of cigars, drank a lot of whiskey. I really leaned hard. I got like a bunch of tattoos. I leaned really hard into the reformed aesthetic. <laughs> no, yeah, I, de- I had a conversation probably my freshman year of college, which was when I was like deep in the cage stage. Like I was always like, yeah, I'm reformed. And then I was like, no, I'm reformed. I'm proud. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, like I had a conversation with another very reformed friend and he was like I'm actually not sure if people who aren't Calvinists are saved and I was like uh for real and he was like because they just don't know the heart of God like I know (laughs) oh yeah yeah I I I knew I didn't believe that but I knew people who would and they'd go well like if the Bible is clear about who God is then if you don't land on reformed theology then you don't actually know the God of the Bible, and therefore you're in love with a version of God. You're not in love with God or something. And and so I think when I say that it was the Reformed theology that pulled me out of charismatic megachurch life and started my deconstruction, I think I continued to reform because I started to notice a lot of the kind of militant uh, confidence, overconfidence of the Reformed um spot and so i think that's where it started to get weird because it's like okay i don't know if i believe this idea that you are so certain about your salvation and you are so certain that other people aren't going to heaven because of some cognitive ascent that you were able to get to you know through your books you know um when like my lived experience is telling me that it just doesn't feel right you know and there were people in my life who called themselves reformed and they were like, yeah, man, like, let's not get overly ridiculous <laughs> about it. Like, you know, so there were that, but I think the fact that there were enough reformed dudes, and I say reformed dudes because obviously it was the men that knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really tough in the world for, uh, Christian reformed men. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, <sighs> but it, it's a tough world out there for men in general, by and large. How did you get yeah. through that? Honestly, we had a we had a really rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all have had it too easy for too long. Um, no, so, so I think like that feeling of like, okay, now I don't even know if I agree with some of the reform stuff, mm. and I'm like, that's the bare minimum. <laughs> it's just Jesus, you know. Ooh. And so when you when you have a problem with that, then what comes next? And I think that's how like my faith change began. So would you say like the certainty aspect of the reformed theology was the first thing that kind of almost like the first like Jenga block that just made everything start to tumble? Yeah, I think like it was um it started to get like 
there was so much, I think, arrogance that came with being a Calvinist, where it's like, I know for sure that I'm elect. I just know I'm elect. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, you say you know you're elect. But like, how do you know? How do you know that you're elect? Well, I just, I just know because I can. I understand the gospel, and and I, you know, I, I believe that you know, Christ is what what all of whatever the stuff you regurgitated to make yourself feel better. But I think. What I started to think through is this idea like, so God elected people to be saved and also, I guess, elected people to burn in like eternal conscious torment mm -hmm. for the sole purpose of bringing glory to himself. And it was like, yeah, man, like, cause you know, like what right does the pot, pot have say to the potter mm -hmm. about why I can't be smashed into the furnace or whatever the, <laughs> and it's like, okay. But it, what it felt like was like, Imagine you get to heaven and you it's like a glass house and there's you and Jesus and a shit ton of food, right? And everyone's <laughs> eating all this food and you're super stuffed. And you're like, wow, this is so much food. It's amazing. And you look out of this glass house and there's like all these people who are starving. And you're mm -hmm. like, Jesus, are we going to give them any food? And he's like, no, I picked you to eat this food. It's like, oh, <laughs> is there not enough food for them? Oh, no, there's unlimited food. There is eternal <laughs> food forever. I have all of the food. Oh, well, why can't we give them any of the food well because like if you give them the food then you won't appreciate the fact that i'm giving you the food and it was this sort of weird like it it just it just didn't make sense and what was actually happening was as i started to question that stuff i was allowing myself to make the table longer and once you make the table longer you can't make it shorter again right so like mm -hmm. i'm like okay so you mean to tell me that people who aren't Calvinist aren't saved? It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. So I made the table just an inch longer. I'm like, okay, so does that mean people who aren't, how about Catholics? Can Catholics be saved? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I think some, some Catholics can be saved. And the table got an inch longer. And say, so, okay, well, what about, you know, people who, and so that's how it kind of started. And then all of a sudden, um, all of those questions kind of began to compile. And before you know it, mm -hmm. You're sitting on like this mountain of maybes and it's scary as fuck, but at least you feel like I'm actually looking around for the first time, you know, I can actually see what's going on. Um, and that was a big change. And that sounds a lot more like Jesus, you know, yeah. than being like, let's just vibe in our glass house with all our food. <laughs> like, it's not yeah. how I saw it. Like he just like made a bunch more food. If we yeah. take that story literally or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think, and I, and I think when I actually had a conversation with somebody early, 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 and, and he's like, yeah, like I was reformed and I'm like still reforming. And I was like, oh, that's it. You nailed it. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, all right, well, if, you know, the reformed movement leans upon the identity and the personal work of Jesus as the main thing upon which everything else hinges, then I go, okay, well, let's start to like, follow the breadcrumbs of Jesus. And mm -hmm. so um, in the early days of my deconstruction, it was very much like, all right, let me just find people, anyone who was saying that like Jesus came for everyone. Um, and so I found Richard Rohr and I found Rob Bell and like people who like, I, I like knew of, you know, mm -hmm. like um, that I just, I just need someone who is familiar that can let me feel like I'm not losing my mind, you know? Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And so in the very beginning, it really was very, it, it was actually kind of nice to go, 
all right, well, I don't believe in this, but like, I still have Jesus. And then, you know, that like Jesus for a long time was very much like the tether to mm. my own feeling like I'm still, I'm on the outside of the inside, but like, I'm still inside. Yeah. And I think one thing that I think is interesting is I said this like really early on in the podcast, but I think my reformed theology is what made me feel free to deconstruct because like, I really believed like in perseverance of the saints that nothing could snatch me out of God's hand. Oh yeah. And like, people would be like, Emily, like you're deconstructing. And I would be like, I'm reformed enough to believe that I'll be okay. And like now, I mean, we went off the deep end, <laughs> but at the time, like that helped me get my foot in the door. I think of being like, I just don't think it's that fragile of one, one second I like believe and I'm saved and one second I'm not. And I'm really, I'm thankful for that because that gave me permission in a weird way, yeah. you know, yeah. but I, I feel like there is this, like, because my reformed theology was so systematic, everything mm. was predicated upon another thing that once I started to untangle mm. and like started to un like kind of pull on the, the thread of the tapestry, then it all kind of fell apart too. Cause it's like, well, if everything needs itself, then if I can pull this one thing out, then the rest of the stuff can fall too. And so I think the inerrancy of scripture was a, was the kind of the crux of everything for me and then that pulling that thread um allowed me to like undo everything else even you know heaven and hell and god and prayer and death and like all those things and i'm not saying like oh ha 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 i got to figure it out it's so great but more like it allowed me it it just felt like it was the bottleneck um mm. upon which i was kind of stuck and then there is this super interesting freeing moment where you go, I don't think I need to feel like the Bible is inerrant. I could even still believe the Bible is lovely. I mm -hmm. could still even try and have the Bible inform my life if I choose to do so, but I'm doing it honestly. I'm not doing it because I think it's inerrant. I'm just, you know, and so that was the first thing for me. And it was actually incredibly freeing um, because then anyone, any, anytime anyone, some like someone tried to, wave scripture at me it didn't carry the same weight as it did you know once upon a time yeah and i mean i think that's so true right? i feel like reform people always get so hooked like on like on the bible like that's the big thing of like well but do you still believe the bible is true and i'm like i think it's interesting <laughs> and people just lose their shit like they're like oh no but um but what i'm really interested in too is like not just the theology aspect of it, but like the psychology aspects of Calvinism mm -hmm. and how maybe that affected you because like the doctrine of total depravity that we are just so bad and that we aren't able to choose God. Like that, that is what Calvinism hinged on for me. It's like, we need God to choose us because we're dead in our sin and we would never. And like believing that for I'm 23. So like believing that for like 22 years of your life, like that does something to your brain and your view of self of like, I'm, I'm disgusting and God is disgusted with me, but just like deals with me. Uh, and it's like, so that growing up in that, that's just what I thought was like natural, but I'm wondering if your view of self shifted and then like how you overcame that or if you did, or if you're still struggling with that. Yeah, no, that's it. That's a great question. I, I, I feel like, um, 
when you're in the charismatic movement, you actually think pretty damn highly of yourself mm-hmm. because like you're blessed and highly favored. Right. And if you kind of like claim God's favor over you, then, then you have it. Um, you have an anointing and you have, you know, people will prophesy over you about how they see greatness in your future and all this stuff. So like the charismatic movement actually makes you feel pretty good about yourself. I think that's why mm-hmm. like, and same with the name and claim it movement. And that's why Joel Osteen is so successful is because it feels good to feel like I'm going to have a breakthrough because God mm-hmm. loves me so much. Right. Um, and so the reformed theology flipped that on its head and it was novel and it was interesting because of its novelty where it's like, no, God actually doesn't like you all that much. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> like you all that much. Um, and so I very quickly became incredibly proficient at self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became, there was a, self-loathing became kind of like a warm blanket because it, it was just like, if I make myself small enough, um, then I know I'm doing something right. And for me, I grew up in like a pretty rough family in that both of my parents were pretty emotionally abusive. Um, like verbally abusive and like, so I, I was always kind of a people pleaser and I was always kind of like by nature, read the room, don't make any waves, don't take up too, too much space. Right. And so reform theology is perfect for people who are into that mm. stuff because like it, <laughs> it's perfect, right? There's no space. You cannot take up any space because you're nothing, <laughs> you know, and you never have to worry. You can't hate yourself any more than God hates you. Right. So that's kind of nice. Um, and so, like, I think it was easy. And coming out of that was actually more difficult. Mm-hmm. It's one thing. I think if I had gone from Reformed theology back to charismaticism, I start to like myself again. And then mm-hmm. I deconstructed, then I would like be able to kind of like ease back into my own kind of sovereignty and personhood um mm. but it was and is incredibly difficult to love myself i think um going through the faith change has helped me embrace a couple different things it has helped me first of all embrace the notion that um my intuition is to be trusted and that my body is good um, mm. and i think that is fucking weird especially if you're brought up in kind of like the evangelical purity movement and people talk about that all the time where like your body is the problem like you're you know everything about you is intrinsically broken and gross um so that was the first thing that was difficult is to go okay my intuition is good my body is good um and then i guess the next thing is like because i am intrinsically good and my body is good then my well-being is worth whatever boundaries i need to set and um so that informed a lot of my relationships in fact my faith change is one of the reasons why i fell out of relationship with my parents because i learned despite everything the reformed church taught me i learned that like i deserve good things when you're reformed you don't deserve any good thing right you don't deserve anything um anything any Thing that you get that is not eternal conscious torment is grace, right? That is, you, you you would be so lucky. People would say they would literally say like Emily, you deserve 
you know, something. And I would look them in the face and I'd say, I deserve hell. <laughs> I deserve hell. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. And so it is very difficult for people who have been regurgitating, who have turned it into a mantra, how much, mm. they, how little mm. they deserve and how, how much they don't deserve good things. It's incredibly nuts to suddenly go, oh no, I deserve great. I deserve everything. I deserve love and I deserve respect and I deserve rest and I deserve patience and I, I deserve boundaries and all this stuff. Um, and so when I started to actually lean into that, it changed the way I interact with, with every single person, especially like for me, I was in ministry. So like I was like a worship pastor and the whole thing was like, you're doing life with people and it's all about doing <laughs> life with people, which is code for like your friend group is determined <laughs> for you. <laughs> and yeah. the people in which you're expected to spend all your days with is determined for you either because yeah. they're in your life stage or because they're an evangelical opportunity, you know, an, an evan evangelizing opportunity or whatever. Um, but finally rea realizing that I deserve good things and that includes rest and to not be fucking stressed out all the time allowed me to like put up some boundaries around people that I really just don't gel with. Um, and then I guess the last thing that the faith change did that has really been a process is embracing um, my Filipino-ness. I think mm. it was very difficult from the get because I moved to the States and immediately had a white stepdad, you know, and then I was brought up in white spaces my whole life. Um, and so when you already think you're pretty broken and gross, um, you also have, I think even more of an expectation on you as the only brown guy in the white church to kind of like, you better really like, you better be on it. Like your theology mm -hmm. better be on it. You, I, I'm convinced that people of color, black and brown folks in the reformed church have it way harder because they have so much more to prove. Um, cause yeah, they have so much more to prove. Um, and so I was like, that's why I was like militantly reformed, you know? And then on doing this now is allowing me to kind of reconvene with that part of myself that has been so dormant for so long. Yeah, I, it's not, it's not the same experience, but like I resonate with you as a woman in reform spaces because oh, yes. I was like, I was constantly just like, I have to know my shit and then maybe I'll get like an ounce of theological respect. Yep. And even then it was kind of like, but you're kind of pushing against God's call for women. So like yeah. chill out. But like, I was like the, the first person to say like, women shouldn't be pastors because I had to say that to get like a right. little bit of acceptance. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you chase proximity to safety and in reform spaces, like cishet white dudes is the safest, excuse me, the safest place you can be. And um, so I, I totally get it. I totally get it. There was a, I had a Presbyterian pastor who pulled me aside one time and he said, Emily, don't tell anyone in our denomination that I'm telling you this, but you are a minister of the gospel. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> You're like, gotcha, bitch. You're trapped. I'm reporting you to all the but, people. <laughs> It's but busted. also like you can you affirm me in secret and you're not gonna do anything to like elevate women yeah. and and our denomination made like a decision about women and women couldn't vote obviously and <laughs> excuse me and um i told my pastor that i was frustrated and he was like well emily women with a high view of scripture just aren't bothered by this <laughs> i was like 
Okay. That was yeah, not yeah, what yeah. I was looking for. <laughs> but it's, it's the, not. It's yeah. It's the no true Scotsman mm-hmm. fallacy. You know, it's kind of like, well, if you really believed it, then you wouldn't do this. But if you really, really believed it, then you wouldn't do that. And it's a junk drawer, right? It's it's a blank check. Um and that it's it's very convenient. It's it I mean, yeah, it's convenient for cis white dudes, right? Because yep. then yep. they keep all the power. Yeah. But um yeah, what you were saying just about like self-love and view of self and things like that, and even boundaries, like as you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I still have so much more work to do in that because it is like it's so much to untangle and like you're deserving, your deservingness of everything. Yeah. But I so agree with what you said about embodiment um, because I think what I called wrestling in the reform church was they gave me the answer. And then I was trying to shove down the feeling that that made me feel mm. like, wow. I was like, I don't like that, which is my own sin, obviously. And so like, this makes me feel unsafe or uncomfortable. It makes so me feel like God funny. doesn't love me. And That's so, so funny. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt no, you. yeah. No, it's just in like that's not wrestling, but that's what I thought wrestling was. Is like you wrestle until you shove the feeling down. It's it's wrestling in the sense that like WWE is wrestling and that <laughs> the outcome is predetermined. How you get there is entirely up to you. You can ad lib you can like grab a ladder and, or whatever. You can get smashed. It's fine. But this is how it's going to wind up. Um, that's so interesting. That's mm. incredibly interesting. Yeah. It's not, is it wrestling? It's not wrestling. It's, it's choreography. You know, it's yeah, like, this is where you got to be. You gotta yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I would say in Bible study, like, I don't like this. And they'd be like, well, you just got to like, you know, just keep wrestling with the Lord about it. <laughs> I just feel like, got it. And then I would do it. Like I would just wrestle and talk and talk to God, I guess, until I was just like, until I left my body a little bit more. Mm. And yeah, it's more like having to like, you're not wrestling, like you're choking it down. You're, it's like you're, a beast you're, you're underwater. Choking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And what's so interesting, and I thought about this recently is I, I'm a stand-up comedian. Um, oh, cool. And, uh, that is like the opposite of what a reformed sermon would be in a sense that stand-up comedy, you sit down for the sake of embodiment. You like wait for your body to agree, mm. which is laughter. Yeah. And that like, since becoming a comedian, one, my therapist was like, it's probably because you wanted to be a pastor and nobody would let you. So you found a new way <laughs> to like talk on stage. That's, that's great. That's great. Which is probably fair, but also like it. it is so different. Like to sit down in a seat and wait for my body to respond is the exact opposite. Is I would like in church, I would sit down and just like pray that my body wouldn't respond because that's more work for me afterward. Mm. And that's my sin. You saying that is so that resonates because. Like, I remember um, someone told me, like, you know, I wish everyone had to walk to church like they do in some of these foreign countries. Um, because when you walk to church, like, you get yourself mentally ready to worship. Like, you get yourself ready to worship. And when you're, like, in, like a worship leader, it's all about, like, I'm going to, like, freaking prime the pump, dude. I need to, like, get ready. <laughs> I need to get, like, hyped for this and, and prepared so that when, when it's showtime, like, it's showtime. 
but it's not your body doing that. It's you talking yourself up. It's you psyching yourself out, right? And psyching yourself out is not a, a physical exercise. It is an entirely a mental exercise. Um, that's very interesting you say that. No, well, now I'm really, I'm thinking a lot about worship in that because like I was very much like your entertainment doesn't matter. Your like, we did like hymnals and organ. Like I was like, mm. who cares what you like? Like, I was like, if you care about what you like, and I wrote an article, this is, I've grown, (laughs) but I was like, who cares what you like? It's not about you. It's about God. So like, I don't care if you're, if you're, if you like the song, you need to be singing dense theological truth via the hymn and figure it out. I kind of hope you don't like it. That, okay. quick, Quick side note. I think in the reform circles, it became, if I don't like it, then it's probably true because then I'm not being like, I'm not making it what I want to hear. If it's not what I want to hear, then it's probably God's truth. Did you feel that? I, I, I think I felt the, um, the abrasion to being selfish. Everything mm. was selfish. So if I didn't like the music, it's because I was selfish. And if like, oh, the sermon was just okay. Oh yeah. Oh, you care about, oh, the sermon wasn't good enough for you. Like <laughs> it was all about selfishness. And so I think, um, and, and if you can <laughs> gaslight yourself into thinking that you're selfish, anytime something doesn't jive with you, then you, people can get away with a lot of shit. Um, because you can shut the fuck up all the time because you just go, ah, I don't love it, but I'm just being selfish. Um, and so I, I think when I look at self, selfishness is really just I, I don't know it's it's almost like okay i wasn't i don't know if i want to be selfish now but i would like to be self-centered Absolutely. in some ways i think there are healthy ways to be self-centered um and so like obviously like i should probably take care of my children make sure they don't die <laughs> in a ravine because they because they drove my car because i was too busy you know what i'm saying but, but like i think selfishness and self-centeredness are not that far apart and and it's just like any other thing. And when you grow up muting yourself for so many years, you probably could do with a dose of self-centered, like a little self-centered detox. Mm-hmm. Fuck, yeah, sounds great. Do it, Emily Zell. <laughs> okay, it's getting too real, Adrian. But um, <laughs> no, but like I'm processing today, like right, I just came from therapy, actually. We love that. Uh, mm. And my therapist was saying like, I was talking about a situation where I like expressed a need and then someone like met the need. And then I was like, Oh my God, totally didn't mean to make you feel like you needed to do that. Like, I was like, and My therapist goes, you just betrayed yourself in that moment. Yeah. You didn't fight. You didn't fight for yourself. And like, that is the worst feeling for your body is to feel betrayed. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm doing I'm doing to myself what I'm scared that everyone else will do to me. Oh my God. Yeah. It it feels uncomfortable. The the biggest um I think like if I think about like what are the claws that still kind of have their hooks in me from my evangelical days, mm-hmm. it is like there are certain things that I just don't feel comfortable saying. Like even talking about, I don't know, talking about like sex and sexuality still feels like a little cringy. Mm-hmm. And then talking about like loving myself and loving my body, it, it still feels weird. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hear that. I, I remember reading kind of early in like my, when I started like to try and 
I guess, reclaim my own sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's like, hey, like, don't apologize for being late. Like, thank them for being patient. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> so like, that, oh, I see. And so, like, I think, like, I've been trying to, like, even now, find little ways to, just like mm-hmm. you said, like, stop betraying myself. Um, and I think... until I can fully believe it to my core, like little moments of kind of self-solidarity will do the job in a pinch. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's true. You have to change the action before it really like seeps in you. Yeah, I mean, because like, yeah, you know, that's, that's all, that's all you can do. And then, and then I think what happens is, I think that's just as much of a slippery slope. Before you know it, you're like, I'm fucking great. <laughs> I'm fucking great and I deserve this shit. Um, so yeah, that's a good slippery slope to be on. That's like that a slippery a slope slippery into slope. like a like a bunch of marshmallows or something. That's a cool slope. That's like a fucking That's like cool a slippery, one. like, can you like slippery uphill? I don't know. Yeah, you can if you have enough momentum. So like, yeah, you slippery <laughs> slope super far down and then you kind of whip yourself way back up. It's great. I feel like I'm like at that super far down. So hopefully I have enough momentum. Just keep on going, to... man. Just tuck yeah. in, right? Tuck in aerodynamic, right? Put your head down. <laughs> like, you know, like no wind resistance. You'll be fine. I feel like we're starting to lose the analogy. And now I'm just like, this is how you should ski or whatever. <laughs> and now this is now a aerodynamic uh, sliding <laughs> podcast. It's going to be great. You're welcome. That's yeah. what everyone was hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They're like, you know what Adrian's really good at talking about? Not fucking deconstruction. He's talking about how the fuck do I go down a slippery slope <laughs> with enough <laughs> centrifugal force to get back up like a fucking vert ramp. It's great. This is going to be one of the clips we pull out for TikTok for sure. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> but I thought of this story as you were talking of, do you, did you ever know the singer Andrew Peterson? I don't know how like popular he is. The name rings a bell, but no. He's pretty Presbyterian. <laughs> He's oh, like a Presbyterian celebrity. Um, oh, yeah, no, God, no. But he came out with a song called Be Kind to Yourself. And I Did swear. Did over it? Uh, I canceled him with my friend <laughs> <laughs> in our hearts. We played it in my car and we're cracking up. <laughs> this is so sad. But it's just, it's literally just like, like, I don't know, like you're trying your best, like be kind to yourself. And we were just like, what the hell is this guy singing about? Like, it's like, it felt that insane and it felt theologically incorrect. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I'm actually Andrew Peterson. Gotcha. How dare you? How I like it now, Andrew. You? Sorry. Yeah, better like it. You're welcome. I was on that shit way before you were. You're fucking welcome. All right, I'm going to go back to being Adrian. There you go. All right. Hmm. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Wow, that was intense. <laughs> that was really intense. But that that's actually nuts. I feel like that's the uh well, that that tracks. I think within reform circles, like it actually is very fashionable to kind of shit on people who you feel like have missed the mark with their theology. Like it's trendy. I, I actually <sighs> some of my oldest friendships were predicated upon shitting on other people. And it was uh, possibly coincidence, but probably not, that they were all reformed guys, you know? And mm. even in some relationships where, like, 
we were no longer reformed and we left the church together, that sort of like arrogant shitting on everybody that didn't go away, you know? Um, so I, and, and I think I'm actually just now starting to like get to the spot where I'm like, okay, I'm figuring it out. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And so if a person misses the mark over something like they're probably figuring it out too. Yeah. And as you're saying that, it's like, it doesn't, that's not something that goes away as you start deconstructing. You just start shitting on your yeah. like the denominations that you're from. And I don't, I don't think that's completely unnecessary. Like, I think you need the episode that just came out is about like the stages of grief and deconstruction. And I think like part of, part of anger is being just like, what the hell are you guys? And being pissed, but it can't, that doesn't really get you anywhere. Just to say that forever. And it just kind of makes you like, I don't know, a shitty person. I, I think like there needs to be room at the table for you to like swing your arms really wide, mm. and smack some shit down. And that's that there's gotta be enough room for that, you know? Um, and so I think so much of like the dirty rotten church kids recipe, especially from the early days was like, okay, there's room for all of it. Right. So if you want to rage and you want to burn something or you want to grieve and you want to mourn, or you want to like laugh because if you don't laugh, you can like laugh. Laughing at something is the closest you can get to something. And it kind of like defangs it a little bit because you can kind mm. of approach it sideways. I think um, for me, using humor was like pretty important. Um, it's kind of like if you can laugh at it, then it, it won't torment you as badly. I always say it's like like the ridiculous spell from Harry yeah. Potter, which was written by no one. No one wrote Harry Potter. It's amazing. <laughs> Nobody wrote it. It's a beautiful piece of work written by nobody. <laughs> anyway, um, it like the the ridiculous spell, right? That's the whole thing. You like uh-huh. that? Yeah, that's a good job. Um, <laughs> that's great. It's just like a floating orb of literature. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, so like that ridiculous spell where it's like there's this scary thing, and if you can laugh at it, then the scariest thing won't haunt you. Um, that was kind of part of the DRCQ recipe in the early days, and still is. I. I try to joke back to the Harry Potter thing real quick. I try to joke a few times. It's kind of niche that it didn't, I don't know. It's not like in my set that I use often, but I was like, actually conservative Christians were the first people to cancel JK Rowling. That's true. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> like Absolutely. they were on it before anybody else. I know we have so much more in common with conservatives <laughs> than we think. <laughs> Opposite sides of the same united in hatred of JK Rowling. <laughs> Or maybe they love J.K. Rowling now. I don't know. I don't, that, so that, they, so they I ended the joke. I ended the joke and I was like, I wonder if they like heard what she's saying about trans people. And they're like, now it's time to get back on board. Yeah, they're like, kind you of know, a rough joke. But like, <laughs> they're like, what did J.K. Rowling say? What does that, you know, we really need to give Harry Potter a chance. <laughs> have we been, we might have, you know, been a little bit harsh on the, on the Harry Potter series. <laughs> um, so Adrian, I, feel really good about this conversation. I think we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up. But if you don't mind me stealing a play from your book, I would love to hear what you've been sipping, smoking, and reading lately. Oh, man. Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, so I, at the time of recording this, it is middle December. Mm-hmm. It is really close to um, the day of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's birth in a manger for the sins of the world. Uh, and so, uh, I'm like really in like Christmas vibes. So a lot of Christmas Mm -hmm. records, 
um, a lot of like Christmas music. I have an interesting relationship with Christmas music in that I, uh, for me, as long as the the aesthetic of the music is old enough. So like if Judy Garland is singing it or if <laughs> Bing Crosby is singing it or Nat King Cole is singing it, you can talk about Jesus in the manger. It's fine. It doesn't count. It's yeah. not real because none of you are real. Bing Crosby isn't real. Um, <laughs> it's It just feels distant enough that it's like, it doesn't, you know, mess yeah. me up at all. Um, so I have no problem with Jesus music as long as it's sung by, you know, someone who does a little wobbler in their voice. Um, and then uh, it's a lot of Christmas music. As such, I'm drinking a lot of eggnog. Uh, right. If you're asking, you know, Adrian, are you as much of an eggnog snob, eggnog snob as you are with everything else in your life? Yes, absolutely, I am. <laughs> um, so really the only eggnog that exists is the Southern Comfort Vanilla Spice eggnog. It's really the only thing that exists. And you haven't, if you're like, I really don't like eggnog, uh, to quote every <laughs> evangelical that's ever spoken to me, you just haven't had the right type. You haven't experienced <laughs> the right type. I, I'm a fucking evangelical uh, when it comes to eggnog. Uh, and I'm just telling you, I'm an eggnogelical. I'm an yeah, I'm an agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's stupid. Um, I'm an eggnogstick. <laughs> Fuck me. That's pretty I'm good. Drunk. I'm drunk right now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, eggnog. And then uh, as far as shows, um, I'm all caught up on White Lotus. Okay. Have you watched White Lotus? No. Also, I've never had eggnog. Okay. <laughs> Are we just ending this episode now? This has been Bye. Adrian Gibbs. Let's do my podcast. <laughs> Bye. No. Uh, yeah, no, eggnog, eggnog is great. If, I, I think people have a little bit of eggnog, and um, if you're not, if it's not the right stuff, it just isn't going to jive. If you get the Southern Comfort vanilla spice eggnog, it tastes more like a milkshake. No, it tastes more like when ice cream melts in a bowl. Oh, <laughs> to be hell clear, yeah. That's, that's different, right? Uh, melted <laughs> uh-huh. ice cream is different than an, a milkshake. It tastes like ice cream melted in a bowl. Um, it's great. And then if you mix like a little bit of dark rum in it, won't hurt you. It tastes great too. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely try it. Report okay. back to myself <laughs> and your listeners. And uh, if you hate it, um, then you're not saved. <laughs> <laughs> clearly the problem is you uh you need to repent and you need to wrestle with that you need to so wrestle right. with that i'm just gonna keep <laughs> drinking and it's just gonna be me wrestling like i can do it <laughs> I like, I, yeah exactly i have so much indigestion this is so much lactose. <laughs> this is so much dairy yeah um, um, okay white lotus white lotus so you you have not watched white lotus i have not watched it do you have hbo max yeah. or any like hbo okay so check it out um okay. white lotus kind of road the coattails literally i think they teed up white lotus right they were really fucking smart about like house of the dragon like finishes and then they always have to replace it with like another show that's mm. supposed to be like kind of fun and cool um white lotus is good um it centers there's two seasons and um it's based around like a hotel a hotel franchise and mm. the people that run the hotel and then the guests that visit the hotel um that's all I'm gonna say, but there's a lot of like it's it's a, a show, it's a lot of dark humor, um brilliant storytelling. I don't know who the director of photography is, but it is it tells such a great story with the music and the and the like the way that they shoot it. It's totally worth it. Watch it. Add it okay. to your list. It's um 
Yeah, great. And I think that's it. I'm not really smoking anything these days. I, I've kind of stopped smoking, which is kind of funny. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever I used to smoke, I kind of stopped because I would like get really bad. Like I would just like coughing fits like really, really bad. And then like when 2020 happened, I'm like, man, I need to do whatever I can to fucking protect my lungs. <laughs> we got this fucking weird thing going around. Um, and then, you know, almost three years later, I just never got back into smoking. However, mm -hmm. um, I am like a bit of like an edible fan. So um, there's actually a Delta 8 gummy from Botany Farms, which I like tell everybody to try. It just makes you like sleep really good. And but it's not like a if you have like half of a gummy or like one whole one, you're not like, oh, I'm wrecked. It's more like mm -hmm. everything feels amazing right now. Like I'll have like <laughs> half a gummy and I'll like watch a movie and I'll climb in bed and I'm like, I feel like I'm laying in lotion. This is the <laughs> best feeling I've ever felt. Um, cool. That's great. So if you so talk about embodiment, add, do edibles. <laughs> Eat edibles. Get into your yeah. body, man. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I think that's um, it. How about you? How about me? Let me think. Oh, mm, this is a food I've been, I don't know. I'm just going for it. Um, I've been obsessed with this is so specific. There's this cauliflower dip. It's like buffalo chicken dip style at Aldi. They have Aldi in Florida. Yeah. Um, so I. It's, it's made of, ca of cauliflower. Yeah, but it feels like buffalo chicken dip, and not. I'm not a vegetarian. I just, but it's just very delicious. And I buy all of the tins <laughs> that are Aldi every time I go. Oh, you just uh, the shelf. Yeah, I'm just like good for you. This is what I want. You deserve um, it too far <laughs> one step at a time adrian <laughs> i gotta go back to therapy do I, do I deserve cauliflower buffalo chicken dip yes you do they're like that'll be another hundred dollars yeah. um, uh so i've been like really obsessed with that and such a random thing um i there's not really any drinks i'm obsessed with right now i would say but i just this is kind of like an old one but i just watched and finished Big Mouth. Oh yeah. I'm not caught yeah. up. I am in love with it. <laughs> so I'm a I'm a high school teacher and I was telling them today that I watched Big Mouth and they were like, Michelle is so cool. And I was like, <laughs> maybe I just shouldn't have told you guys that I watched that. But um, that's great. But just like the way that it process I make everything very deep, but <laughs> just like the way that it processes like shame and depression and, and so actually, I wasn't planning on watching it, but then I watched Nick Kroll's stand-up special. Have you seen that? Uh, when did it come out? Like a month or two ago. And no. Phenomenal! I have a ranked list of stand-up specials, and it moved to number one. No kidding! All right. Yeah. I'll watch it. I I cried like it's so oh. beautiful. I just can't get. Mm, I couldn't say enough like good things about it. Cool. And then I was like, I need to see what this guy's up to. And so I watched Big Mouth and. So you would it never watch Big Mouth like, until after that stand-up? Yeah, I think I watched it all in like a few weeks. Dang. Good for you. <laughs> and I finished it this morning before school. So <laughs> my priorities are in check. Right? It's, <laughs> no, it's it's a great show. Yeah. Um, I I'm not, yeah, I think that's about it for me. I usually okay. I have more stuff. Oh, I also just watched Studs, the documentary that Jonah Hill made about his therapist on Netflix. Oh. I've seen it. I haven't seen it, but I've seen it on my like feed of suggested movies. Is it good? 
I learned so much. Like no kidding. I it was so I have like note cards on my fridge that are just like things that I got out of that documentary. Oh hell yeah. Like one thing that he said is he was like the three things that you just have to accept about life are pain, uncertainty, and work. And that was the first moment where I was like, oh, I've never accepted uncertainty. And now being in this faith change process, mm. like no one's ever told me like, but that's just a part of life. Like I thought it was me failing at knowledge. Oh. And so that was like huge. I love that. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. You should. Uh, that's, a, that's it for me. Adrian, where can people find you? Uh, well, um, I, I go by Andrew Peterson, um, on, on, the, <laughs> on the low and so you can find my music wherever <laughs> fine music is sold. No, if you want to, uh, you can visit dirtyrottenchurchkids.com. I have a podcast that drops, um, every other week. I'm not sure when this is dropping Emily, but, um, next Wednesday is my last episode of the year. Um, and I had, uh, the privilege of interviewing Lucy Dacus and speaking to her about kind of her upbringing within the church. She's an incredible songwriter. Um, and so that was a ton of fun. Um, yeah. So the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, you can follow me on Instagram at dirty rotten church kids, TikTok, dirty rotten church kids, Twitter, dirty rotten CK. You can send me an email, dirty rotten CK at gmail.com. And I have a merch store. All that stuff is on the website. So just go to the website, check all the things. And if you want to get those botany farms things, go to dirty rotten church kids.com. And I have an affiliate link. So if you're going to pay for it anyway, just give me some money too. You know what I'm saying? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just do that. Actually, we should put something at the beginning that's like everyone order those and take one before you listen yeah. to this episode and it'll just be time. Oh my 10. God. Yeah. Lay in bed <laughs> in your lotion bed. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Adrian, thanks so much for chatting with me. It was great to talk to you more about uh, your story and this I'm about to sign off. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and embrace the journey.